7.33. So among the many changes this coronavirus pandemic has brought to our daily lives, one of the biggest may be the changes in how we're working. And if you're being forced to work from home and discovering it's not quite as relaxing or productive as you may have hoped, let's get some advice on how to telework the right way with Professor Raj Chowdhury at Harvard Business School, whose research focuses on remote work and also on how geographic flexibility affects productivity. Thank you for joining us. Sure thing. Great to be here. So having studied already flexible work arrangements, can you tell us your findings so far? So I've studied uh, remote work and geographic flexibility under very different conditions, uh, not when people were being forced to work. So there's a little bit of that caveat I'll add. But uh, the organizations I looked at, we found uh, we, we found a pretty positive effect on productivity. Uh, we found that it was a win-win in many cases for the company and the worker. And if I may, the biggest uh, uh, sort of uh, win for the company was savings in real estate costs. Because if uh, workers are not working in the physical office, then you don't need all the expensive real estate that companies typically incur. Uh, we also found in the U.S. Patent Office, where I've done the most extensive work, that productivity went up 4%. And the last thing I'll say is that for workers, that flexibility was wonderful because in many cases, people moved to cheaper locations. And uh, since the salaries were the same, they essentially had more money in their pockets. The thing is, that caveat, it still offers hope, doesn't it? If people learn the lessons of your research and plan accordingly, even if they've been forced into this situation, um, they they can perhaps remain productive. What would some of your key overriding headline piece of advice be? I feel uh, just given how dramatic this change is, uh, there are three things to sort of keep in mind. One is to tool up in terms of the technology. And uh, I know many companies and workers have frantically downloaded Zoom and Slack and these kinds of uh, tools that enable uh, virtual work over the past couple of weeks. Uh, But it's not only just good to have the tools. uh, I think the practical advice I'll have is to find a mentor or a colleague who knows these tools and really get sort of mentorship and how to best use them quickly. Uh, the second thing I will say is that working virtually is not just about using the tools. It's a very different way of working, and I'll make two examples. So in a physical office, you always traditionally have a shoulder to tap and someone to have a face-to-face conversation. Uh, if in the virtual world we try to replicate that, it's very hard because people are all over the world and then time zones come into play. So an alternative way to work is to work through handbooks. And Google Docs is a great example. So if you and I are working on something, on a project, then I don't have to constantly talk to you. We can both enter into that shared document, whatever we are working on. And then when you wake up, you uh, read what I've done through the day, and then you can respond. And the final thing, I think the most important thing I'll say is that given the social isolation that people are facing all over the world, it's critical that uh, we have virtual water coolers and managers check in on workers to make sure people are staying uh, staying okay and not feeling depressed uh, to the extent they can. I mean, all very good advice. I'd like to dial it back one second, though, for a, 
a piece of very practical advice. Uh, when you get up at home and you don't have to rush out of the house, you don't have to get changed, showered, breakfasted and all those things, it might be challenging for people who are used to working in the workplace to, to get in the right frame. Do you, do you think, for example, it's important to set up a little home office that's not your bedroom? Um, or even if you live in a one room, is there a way of kind of setting things up so that you're not in that frame of mind where you can just easily have a lie down or, or do the, the relaxing things you're normally accustomed to doing at home? No, that's, that's a great point. And I would say it's not just the physical home office. And I, I know many couples are struggling right now because there's only one home office and you can't have two conference calls at the same time. Exactly, um, yeah. But it's also just having the routine. And so what remote workers, folks who work remotely all the time, they do, is they have their own schedules and routines. Uh, and they set boundaries with not only family members, but they set boundaries with themselves. So they set an alarm saying that now I need to get up and go for a run. Or now I need to stop working. Because, you know, many of us just keep working for a stretch and then we sort of like get exhausted. So find some space, set a routine and set boundaries with both family members, but also with yourself. The, the other side of this is that bosses, some of whom might feel a bit suspicious, m- might find it very difficult to trust that work is being done as it as it should be. Um, perhaps later they'll be able to look at data and be surprised that productivity hasn't been affected so badly or that it's maybe even improved. But in the short term, how can they build a, a mutual trust there? That's a great, great point. So I feel that is one of the biggest obstacles for why we haven't seen more remote work uh, in the past, uh, the fear that people will slack. Uh, So I guess I'll say two things. One, um, as far as possible, managers should find ways to uh, new ways to measure productivity so that they can also have uh, skin in the game and make sure that everyone is is contributing. So the old ways of measuring productivity may not be enough in a virtual world, and you might need to find new ways so that every member in the team is accountable. Having said that, I'll say this is the time for managers to become really patient and flexible and trust your team. Um, And I I feel the change to that uh, mode of communication I talked about a minute back, where I'm not having a conversation face-to-face right now, is a way to practice that. So uh, we are so used to getting the answer right now, uh, it's difficult to step back and say, hey, I'm going to put a question on Slack for you. And whenever you can, whenever the kids are sleeping or you wake up, take a look and I trust that you will do that, that the right thing. And I feel if that culture can be developed over the next few weeks or months, then we will see a much bigger shift to remote work in the future. Well, this is the very interesting point, isn't it? Because if this works for many offices, and it might not work for all of them, but even if it works for half of them, they're going to perhaps long-term consider whether they, whether they need to spend as much money on workspace and other practical considerations, even beyond their employees' well-being. So that could have profound impacts, couldn't it? Absolutely. So it's not only uh, the real estate cost, which is, by the way, huge if, if you are in Seoul or Tokyo or expensive uh, locations, but it's also the, the ability to hire globally. So just given how immigration has become tougher, uh, work from anywhere, which is the form of work, remote work which I study, enables you to hire from anywhere in the world because you don't have to get anyone a visa. 
they can continue to live wherever they are and work for the company. Uh, it can enable people people to move to smaller towns and even rural areas, uh, flowing talent back to these places. And the other last thing I'll say is that the environmental uh, uh, outcomes can be dramatic. We could we could not only reduce office space, we could reduce traffic congestion and the carbon footprint of these large polluting cities. Yeah, well, I mean, so in theory, someone listening now could spend at least a half a year on Jeju Island or something like that and, and still work productively and be then contributing more to that Jeju Island economy rather than Seoul, which doesn't need perhaps quite as much support. I mean, just as an example. But the flip side again of that is that already many economies have sprung up around office areas. So you'll find in Seoul, for example, right now, a lot of coffee shops will be suffering from not having their regular customers, convenience stores, restaurants, etc. Uh, th- there'd be some pain in this profound change in way of doing things as well. And how wary are you of that? That's a great point, too. So I, uh, um, you know, the, the thing I'll say, though, is that uh, over the past several decades, we have created this move towards these large mega cities. So it's not only knowledge workers who have moved to these cities from all over the world, but it's also this rural to urban migration that's happened. And so if now the knowledge workers start flowing back to the smaller towns, and it's happening, uh, so I'm working on a project with Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the U.S., where they've set up incentives for folks to go back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is a small town, and work remotely for Silicon Valley Company, for instance. Uh, so it not only helps the knowledge workers, because it's cheaper in Tulsa, Oklahoma, then the fruit vendor or the tea vendor could also probably go back to his or her village, where it's cheaper to live and the family is closer to them. So I feel that whole uh, uh, flowing the talent back, not only the knowledge workers, but also our blue-collar workers, uh, it might lead to some short-term pain, but I think it'll be a wonderful redistribution in the long term. It certainly makes sense. But um, just just a couple of practical considerations that we might also re- revisit here. You mentioned before, for example, setting boundaries for children. Uh, right now, that is a major consideration. In the longer run, hopefully schools would reopen, and if someone was to continue working at home for part of the week or all of the week, it would be easier. But for right now... <laughs> How, how can we possibly be more productive when you've got kids potentially running into meetings and and even if you could lock the door, you wouldn't necessarily want to with a five-year-old? Yeah, so I, I feel uh, it goes back to what we were discussing a, a little a while ago, which is setting expectations all over. So at Harvard, we are having Zoom calls for everything, and I think people are okay now to see kids barging in mm. and, and dogs screaming in the back. So it's a new <laughs> set of norms for what's acceptable. Um, also, I think at a personal level, you know, it's been tough. I have two boys, uh, and me and my wife are both working from home. But it's also, a, I, 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 the way I think about it, and the way, way I urge your listeners to think about this is, if you form, like, happy memories and be thankful that the family is safe right now with whatever is going outside, uh, this could be a time to look back upon fondly, right? You could actually develop new family routines uh, and practice them in this time of lockdown. And another point that some of our listeners might make is that, well, what about those meetings? Uh, A few funny memes have been going around, actually, with people uh, joking that 
many bosses would have realised in the last few weeks that they can indeed deal with issues by even email that they thought previously needed to be handled by a, a meeting. But but there are advantages, brainstorming advantages, for example, clarity of communication advantages of having face-to-face meetings. Maybe it could be a message that would be just as easily sent virtually or, or through even a camera, but, but which requires the sensitivity of that of that face-to-face communication. In other words, is there a way of completely doing everything online, do you think? No, no, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. So, so I study these companies like GitLab, which are completely remote. So they've been completely remote from the day, first day. So GitLab, for instance, is an American software company. They have 1,300 employees, and they don't have even one single physical office. So the entire company, starting from the CEO, down to the bottom lives all over the world works from home but they do have these temporary co-location events where they bring everyone together and they actually don't talk about work or brainstorm at that time the main purpose is to socialize Mm. because the one thing you cannot do virtually is eat together so i think that's what they do they 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 really bond you know over hikes and cruises and Whatnot, and I think that is something that I I strongly feel uh, very positively about. Uh, but of course, the frequency of travel and the intensity of travel will go down quite a bit if remote becomes more mainstream. Professor Chowdhury, it's been really useful to hear from you. And maybe you will have emboldened uh, a few decision makers out there to consider their options going forward. And they can check out your research in greater detail, I'm sure. Professor Raj Chowdhury at Harvard Business School. Thank you so much.